The greatness of a community is most accurately measured by the compassionate actions of its leaders and volunteers. Every week, founder of the community Big Hearts, Stu Starkey, will place the spotlight on leaders and volunteers, highlight key stories and statistics, and share insights to educate listeners and inspire everyone to have greater impact in their communities. Welcome to the community of Big Hearts. Hello, Sarah Wells. How are you? I am so great. Thanks for having me, Stu. I am so excited to have you and even more excited to have you uh, on this fine Olympics opening day today. I, I know. Wearing, what are I the came, chances? I'm wearing my jersey and my, my badge here to uh, commemorate my favorite day in the quadrennial. <laughs> you and me both. You and me both. I love it. I love it. Um. Sarah, we're, we're just starting our new season, and um, our theme for this season is all things great start with somebody with passion. And uh, I heard your story, and I thought, man, that's Sarah, someone with a tremendous amount of passion. Um, so listeners, Sarah is an Olympian. Uh, she is a Pan American silver medalist. She is an amazing race contestant, and now she is the founder of an initiative called Believe, um, impacting the youth around uh, North America. Um, yeah. Did I miss anything, Sarah? <laughs> Look, I think that, that feels good. That feels good. I got you and my hype, my, my mom as my hype people. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime. I'm there for you. Uh, so, yeah. Why don't you tell us a little bit ab about Believe, the Believe initiative? Yeah, so Believe Initiative has been my focus um, kind of while I was wrapping up my career, even while I was still in sport, but then especially now once I've retired and the whole program is to help youth become more resilient leaders through project-based learning. And so our programming has student-led chapters all across North America, and we find a incredible chapter head who is a student. We train them, and then they have uh, a chapter of peer students where that we give them the lessons to run different programming to help them build their leadership skills. And then every single one of those members of the chapters do a Believe Passion Project. And the Believe Passion Projects connect a passion they have with a problem that they want to solve. And they use their passion to solve a problem and ultimately build self-belief through action. And so to give you an example of kind of like a project and what that could be, um, there's one I talk about a lot, and it's these students who had a passion for robotics. And they were like, we love robots. We could YouTube robots, you know, all things robots. And the problem they wanted to solve was mental health. And they had learned in science class that certain wavelengths of light trigger your happy hormone receptors in your brain. And so, you know, while going through the program, talking about confidence and resilience and discipline, they took those lessons and applied it to their Believe Impact project where they're like, you know what? we can stand up and fight against mental health. We can create something. And so they reached out to their science teacher to help them make this. And they made a robot light that would only emit those certain wavelengths of light that would then ultimately, like when someone turned it on and had this like robot nearby, that it would help fight depression and anxiety by triggering those happy hormone receptors in their brain. And it was incredible and brilliant to see and, and so inspiring. And that is just like one of the brilliant projects that I've been fortunate to witness um, these students create through the program. And I like, I didn't think I'd find anything as much as I love the sport of track and field. And I love what I get to do with the Believe Initiative. <laughs> 
I mean, I couldn't think of anything for me personally more rewarding than inspiring that kind of um, passion and in turn impact. That is so cool that you get to um, help find kids' passions of all things because they're so creative, impressionable, and energetic. Um, that that's really, really cool to be able to see that. And, and I remember one of the things I read was that, so you, uh, started this initiative and you've inspired so many people that now there's, uh, dozens of chapters that you've inspired across. Yeah. So we, we pre COVID, we did this by like marching across the country, doing in-person kind of kickoff events that we called belief summits and the belief summits would plant the seed get teachers and students um, excited about the idea of, of going through our programming and creating these Believe Passion Projects. And we were very limited by the number of schools we could get to in a year. And, you know, my whole team of, you know, like 10 of us are trekking across the country with our gear and our stage equipment and all of this stuff, like, you know, it felt like a traveling band, but it was worth it because we wanted to kick off like the enthusiasm in these schools to get them on board. Mm but we were limited because of the travel and how many, you know, how much time and resources we had when COVID struck, we obviously could not go in person. And so we had to switch our program to a virtual format, which originally I was like, Oh my God, the program's going to die. No one's going to take it on as a virtual platform. Like people are going to hate it. It's going to be less effective. And it was the complete opposite. (laughs) People were so thirsty for leadership opportunities and extracurriculars that basically didn't exist for the last year and a half. And this was an opportunity for students to stand up, gain a leadership role and create an impact in their communities and rise above the circumstances, find unique and novel ways to use things that they're passionate about to create that difference. And so through COVID, we've now launched 45 chapters across North America, which had 900 students involved, which created 550 projects and ultimately made an impact on 45,000 people. And so it's been a roller coaster ride, but ultimately, you know, it was an eye opener to see what's possible um, as things have progressed over time. When I was preparing for our conversation, um, so this season we're going to have uh, half charity uh, leaders with passion that we're going to be talking to, and half business owners that are you know, donating their services back to the community to, to have impact. And yours was unique in, in so far anyways, in the, in the way that your business is the impact that you're having in the community. Mm-hmm. And, and that was really cool. And it, it was, um, it changed some of the questions that, that I was going to ask you, but I, I think it's important to note that for our listeners, because one of the things we want to do on this podcast, just like you're doing is, um, and be inspiring others and helping show people um, that you can have impact by following your passion. You just have to find it. And then listening to people who have done those things, because a lot of people we talk to, they all want to do something. They just mm-hmm. think that, you know, not them. They don't know how to start it. So we're showing all sorts of different ways to start it. So talking to a person like you, who's doing this through their business, impacting while, um, being able to create a, a platform and a business, a sustainable platform like yours is, is super neat and an opportunity to talk with you on that. Thank you. And, and I, I'll say something to add to that because you said something of like, yeah, everyone can find a way to give back by using your passion and you just have to find it. And sometimes I honestly consider changing our programming language away from passion to the word enthusiasm. 
because passion sounds so grand, you know, like it has to be your passion, like the thing, you know, and people are kind of like, well, you know, I like this and I like that, but it's not my passion, you know? Mm. And, and so while it's like, yes, you have to find that passion. You also, it doesn't have to be the one thing and the only thing you ever have ever cared about in your whole life. Like it's about finding something that you're enthusiastic about, that you're you know, genuinely interested in. Maybe it's not the passion, maybe it's not the thing, but I think in following kind of open doors, you find your next thing and your next thing and your next thing. And that's true of where you want to make your impact, but that's also true of your career. That's also true of finding what you want to learn next. That's also true of the relationships and networks that you build of kind of following the one open door that leads to the next open door that leads to the next open door. And I think that's what we're, what I love about what we get to do with, with these young people is show them what's possible <laughs> because sometimes they have this vision of like, Oh, I have, I have to become a doctor and I have to do this thing. And I'm like, cool, but let's just like take something else that you're interested in right now and find a different problem to solve with it. Because it doesn't have to be medicine as the only way to take your passion for science and, and solve a problem for the universe with that. And so I think it's like, you know, I encourage anyone who's listening to just explore things you're enthusiastic about. And that doesn't have to be the thing and, and seek inspiration from people who can show you what's possible. Because even for me as an Olympic athlete, I, I never set out, I wasn't the kid who grew up being like one day I'd love to become an Olympian. Like I wasn't that kid. I actually sucked at sports and got cut from every team in high school. Um, but when I started to like find out I was good at track and then start to pursue that dream, only four years before I qualified for the team is the very first time I ever thought I could become an Olympian because I had a teammate of mine who I trained with day in, day out. And he was a person that, you know, I saw have good days and bad days and he lost races and he won races, but then he had injuries and he had, you know, a roller coaster ride um, on the pursuit to the Beijing 2008 games. And in my head, I was like, well, if you make the Olympics, you have to be perfect. You have to be flawless. You have to have, you know, an epic season. And then when he made the games, he, he made the Olympics in 2008 on Beijing after I saw him lose races and miss workouts and have injuries through the year. And so suddenly I was like, oh, like you don't have to be perfect. Like he showed me what was possible. And I think much like, you know, finding your passion, it's like, that's the, the perfect season we think about, you know, where it's like, it has, it's put on this pedestal, this like triumphant thing when it can actually be just the things you're enthusiastic. It does not have to be perfect and, and follow those doors and find someone to show you what's possible. So many things came to mind while you were <laughs> telling that. And it, it's really like, I'm going to take a tangent here uh, off our story arc, because I think it is such an important mental health conversation. Um, yeah. Cause I think you and I talked about this a couple weeks ago when we were talking about you coming on the podcast, which is athletes get so focused on their one passion. And it can be the same for anyone who's overly focused on one thing. And when you make that who you are, mm-hmm. then it can be such a mental um, breakdown for that person. And I think we were talking about athletes specifically after the post Olympics, when they retire, mm-hmm. a huge percentage of them go through fairly severe depression. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I know you have a few thoughts on that. And it's such an important message to be teaching the youth that these passions aren't who you are. It's just a cool curiosity to explore, to do something great and cool. Like you have to have a, you know, same way, 
investment advisors would encourage you to have a diversified portfolio of where your wealth is and where you financially invest should be the same of the way you invest in yourself. Like Mm. you are physically, you know, healthy and well, you are socially fulfilled by your relationships. You are um, driven by your career aspirations. Like that, that pie should be cut in so many different ways of so many different parts. And it's hard because as, as beings that are on this like pursuit of excellence, you know, whether that's Olympic athletes or, really high level business owners, um, or even like, you know, those really high achieving students, which, you know, I work with a lot. Um, your, your pie is, is really heavily weighted in one way. And it's hard to remember that you are even more of those, that there are other slices in there, even if one is quite large. (laughs) Um, and sometimes it does take a certain capacity and a ratio of the pie for you to be the best in that thing. I'm not going to hear, tell you that I was only a quarter of the pie Olympic athlete when I became an Olympic athlete. Like I was very much like 70% Olympic athlete and then a handful of other things. Um, but it's remembering that that other section of the pie exists and knowing that you can easily invest in those other slivers of the pie to grow them when your original chunk goes missing or for whatever reason is, um, the circumstances change for whatever reason. And, and I think that's the biggest thing that athletes and people who define themselves in certain ways struggle with is, is how do we highlight those el- other elements of ourselves? Yes, yeah, sir. I heard the story of your, your training day shortly uh, before Olympic trials in, for the 2016 Olympics. And mm-hmm. I'm certain by that story, that very vivid story of your hamstring yes. um, breaking like an elastic <laughs> and that, um, that you were not just 70%. <laughs> <laughs> To, to push through injuries like that and, and to almost uh, make the team again after severe injury is, is very impressive. <laughs> well, thank um, you. Yeah. I, I want to remembering the percentage for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you, uh, I guess first, and this is really important and I want to talk about it from perspective of um, inspiring others to, to get started. So your um, starting story for believe, how did you make the decision to get started, and what did you do to 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 do it? I, as you know, um, was full time athlete, and my pursuit to the first Olympic Games had a rocky road, um, and I got injured with a stress fracture in my femur, which is like a big break in your th- thigh bone. Um, it's just slowly slivering in half, um, and so that was happening heading into the London Olympics. I sat out for what was supposed to be three months, turned into nine months, and I only had six months left by the time I got cleared to run in order to get back to who I was before that injury and still improve a whole second to hit Olympic standard, which is the kind of minimum qualifying time you have to hit in order to go to the Olympics. And so everyone told me to remain realistic and that this was a very impossible dream and it was highly unlikely I was going to make this all come to life in six months. And I just felt like after everything I had been through in those nine months, like wanting this goal so badly and feeling like my hands are tied, having many moments of wanting to quit and give up and walk away and just be riddled with self-doubt of like, why am I still trying to get this thing? Like it's getting more and more impossible by the day. And after getting through that and getting back up every day and pushing through, I was like, you know what, (laughs) if anyone can do this, it's me. And so on my first day back to training, I got the word believe tattooed on my wrist And I said, when I make the Olympic games, I'm going to put the rings underneath here and, you know, skip over because we only have so much time. Six months later, 
I make the Olympic games and I, I finished that tattoo and I put the Olympic rings underneath the believe exactly where I said I would. And so I saw the power of believing in yourself and I'm like, holy moly, like, why doesn't anyone tell you this? And it's like, oh wait, they do all the time. But <laughs> you just like let it go in one ear and completely up the other because we think it's like light and fluffy for people who have their sure. head in the clouds. And you're Cliché. like, yeah, sure. Like, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I started on this mission of like, okay, I want to showcase this story, tell other people about it. So that way it shows them what's possible and encourages them that like, this isn't just fluffy. Like I saw it work and I, I saw it work quickly in six months. And mm-hmm. I was doing that kind of on the side of, I was still a very full-time athlete, but I was dabbling in this world of speaking and workshopping and like doing all these different things. And four years later, now after being Sarah Wells, the Olympian for four years, I was favorited to go to the Rio Olympics in 2016. And because I had just come off winning a Pan Am Games silver medal, I was also being spoken, being talked about as a medal hopeful. And I was on billboards all across the country and we launch a clothing line with winners and we like do all this exciting stuff and I'm doing all this media and it's exciting, but it's also so much pressure and stress. And two months before the 2016 Olympic trials, I work out on a day I should have never worked out because my hamstrings were really tight and sore. And I considered not working out that morning, (laughs) but I got too nervous about not doing everything. And if I didn't do everything, I wouldn't make the Olympics. If I didn't make the Olympics, then I wouldn't win a medal. If I didn't win a medal, I would let everyone down. And so I worked out anyways. And as you have just kind of given everyone the small seed planted of what happens, my hamstring explodes and rips an inch tear. It sounds like a Ziploc bag that someone's like fully blown up, full of air. Like when the kindergartners like put it on the ground and jump on it, that's the noise it made. (laughs) And of course, like I'm laughing out about it now, but I was devastated because I knew it was bad and I knew it was going to be really challenging to get back up to shape for Olympic trials that were like around the corner. And so somehow I go from metal hopeful to like, please let my hamstring be in full shape, you know, like please take the hole out of my leg. And I knew that top three make the Olympic games as a four time champion. I was like, okay. I just have to get top three and I should have some wiggle room here. I give the race everything I have. And in the end I get fourth and I miss qualifying for my second Olympics by half a second. And I quit sport (laughs) because I'm convinced I've been lying to people for four years now because previously I believed in myself. I got back up. I did all the right stuff and I made my goal and I had the triumphant finish and it worked and it was awesome. But now four years later, I believed in myself. I got back up. I did all the right stuff and it just didn't work out. And so I was like, have I been lying to everyone? Like, <laughs> This is a sick joke that people just tell you to make you feel better. Right. And when I really thought about it in that year off with the time and space I needed to kind of rise above and look at it more objectively, I realized I actually believed in myself more strongly after not making the Olympics, even more so than when I did. Because you don't build self-belief through achievements. You build it through action. And that's when I founded the Believe Initiative. When I was like, I want to help other people build self-belief through action. And that's where the, the student passion projects come into play. Because I'm like, I can't just teach them about resilience. I can't just talk about res- discipline and resilience. Talking about it goes only so far. 
But until they have to live through it, they have to go and act on it. That's how we're going to build their self-belief. That's how we're going to build their resilience. And so the program kind of came together from there and has become my thing. <laughs> like I, I'm so grateful that I, I kind of had the beginnings of it while I was still in sport because it gave me something I'm just as passionate about, something that is like wakes me up with enthusiasm every single day. Um, for From the second I stepped out of sport, I had this and I love this. <laughs> So you, you, I had goosebumps when you showed me the, the rings uh, on your wrist, because uh, as you know, I'm a true Olympics fan and I call mm-hmm. myself an Olympics nerd. And just to realize that dream of being able to, because that, that was my dream as a kid, is, is one of the main things of being Olympian was um, getting to tattoo that uh, yeah. on your body and That's two, true. staying in the Olympics village. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, so amazing that you were able to realize that. And then I went from goosebumps to cringing <laughs> and your <laughs> pain, listening to you talk about your, uh, one, the, the dream, uh, actually, uh, being crushed or, mm. or yeah, just not quite making it and being a favorite. And so in, in that moment, how did you change your perspective? I, by the way, I'm throwing out most of my questions that I had. Uh, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> too interesting to talk about. So um, how, how did you shift your perspective to get back to believing in yourself and starting this initiative? So certainly there's kind of like three things that I did. Um, the first thing is I had this word belief right? Like I'd already tattooed on my wrist from my previous Olympic experience and, you know, having feeling so defeated in that year where I quit for that moment in time, it was like having that word tattooed onto my wrist, like just kind of anchored me back to a center of like, get back up. Like if anyone can do this, it's you like, kind of like, there's more here, like there's more you can do. And, and I say, in my keynote speeches all the time, like, especially when I speak to young people, I'm like, I'm not saying you have to tattoo yourselves of your goals. Okay. Like <laughs> don't go tell your parents. That's what I told you. Um, but finding a word and, and a, a mantra, or maybe it's an object or a thing or a quote or something and write it down, like make it your phone background screen, make it your laptop display, like somewhere where you bump into it. So that way, when you're really down like it can be really hard to pull yourself out of there and it's just like the exposure to the positivity almost like constantly like constantly bumping into it it's just it just brick by brick inch by inch kind of helps pull you up from that dark place and for me it was that word believe um the second thing that i encourage people to do is to keep a journal and a log and every time i say this especially to corporate audiences i feel like i i watch them roll their eyes but i'm like keep a journal because what they envision me talking about when I say that is like, dear diary, today was so great. And like, that's not what I, I'm asking everyone to do. Um, but certainly keeping a log of like progress, things you're working on, things you've done that week that you're like proud of. And it can be simple and bullet pointed. And I did mine every day, but you could do yours like every week. And I wouldn't go any longer than like once a month <laughs> because otherwise you can forget about some of the things you accomplished. But keeping that journal and that log is a great way to, again, almost build up that confidence, bring you back out of that dark place because our brains can be really good at telling us a story that's not true, where you have a bad day at work, a bad workout, a bad conversation with a colleague or peer or partner. And you're like, oh my God, this is terrible. Everything about this is terrible. I'm terrible. This is terrible. I'm never going to get back to normal. Like everything is awful. 
And certainly for me, like on those bad workout days, I would get into that spiral down and I could look back at my journal and my log and be like, okay, today sucked. <laughs> today sucked. But has it been a bad week? No. Has it been a bad month? No, look how far I've come. Look at the things I've worked on and who I've become over this time. And so, you know, you're not just trying to make yourself feel better. That's, it's qualitative science. Like you can look at the progression. And so finding that and keeping that is a great way to, to keep pushing forward in those dark moments. I, I love asking my guests what, um, what obstacles are, are they going through or have they gone through? And we've talked uh, about a good few of yours that are truly inspirational. And, and the important message I'd love to take from this for the listeners and, and myself is that like successful athletes, successful people, they all go through obstacles as well. Mm-hmm. It's just, um, you know, if I echo your message is how you believe in yourself through those obstacles is, is really the most important on how you get yourself back up. Yeah. I actually finish every keynote with this quote <laughs> and it's like, if you guys remember nothing else of this podcast, like just remember this hard work won't always lead to success. Cause like you said, Stu, there's going to be obstacles. Sometimes there's things that just don't go your way. Circumstances that you could have never predicted come up. So unfortunately hard work doesn't always lead to success, but being resilient and having that self-belief will always lead to another opportunity for success. So, you know, again, if you remember nothing else, just remember hard work won't always lead to success, but being resilient will always lead to another opportunity for it. That's beautiful. I can tell. So producer Ryan is a resiliency uh, specialist and oh, yeah. teaches lots of corporate uh, people and others um, that the really specific details and resiliency. And I know he's very proud of the initiatives that you're doing and spreading the good word to the youth out there. And what an amazing message to be spreading because exactly the, the, the results are not what define you. Um, it's the progress. Mm-hmm. and the learning that you, you keep yourself open to um, that feels the best long-term. Certainly. Yeah. Um, I'm keeping an eye on the clock here. I think I got one or two more questions for you. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your goals for the future for this program? Where do you see it going? So we have a goal, like the, the amount of growth we've seen, we, we piloted this with just 12 schools like a year ago. <laughs> I'd be like, okay, can this program work online? Can we do this? And we went from 12 to 45 in half a semester because in the fall we did 12 and in the spring we did 45. And so my goal in the fall is to have a hundred chapters, I believe chapters across North America. Um, And then in the next, in three years, because I've been telling everyone who will listen to me, I want to be in a thousand schools in three years. That is the mission. And it sounds crazy because we're only in 45 right now, but um, you know what? No one else sounds crazy trying to make the Olympics off six months and a year of sitting around. So <laughs> you got to believe. Yeah, I feel like it's possible. That's awesome. And you know, we're spreading the good word for you and we'll continue to do that here on this podcast. Thank you so much. Um, and I, I think we're uh, firmed up to sponsor the Believe Conference coming up. What's the date? Yes, August 6th and 7th, we're running a free virtual conference for high school students where we're talking about evolving and how do you develop your elite level leadership? So we have corporate executives from Sony Music, Twitter, uh, RBC Royal Trust, and um, also a food dudes, uh, international chef um, on our corporate panel. And then we have an entire panel of 
Olympians that are coming to talk about that. And we even have some athletes who will be days off of their competition in Tokyo <laughs> coming out for the event. So super exciting. And yeah, we're lucky to, to have two small men as a, a sponsor and looking forward to having the students uh, gather the skills and impact we hope to create that those two days. Proud to be a part of it. And um, can, can any high school student still sign up for this conference? Any high school student, it will be open until an hour before the conference um, kicks off. And so you can go check that out. It's at believeinitiative.com and just hit the conference tab and there's the registration link right there. Awesome. Uh, as you know, our last question for all of our guests, um, we're going to ask you as well, yes. which is, um, Sarah Wells, what is the kindest thing anyone has ever done for you? Okay. So when you told me that this question was going to be asked originally, I didn't know what I was going to say. And then when I remembered what I want to say, I'm like, how was this not the first thing that came to mind? <laughs> um, so the Canadian government does provide some sport funding for athletes as they're pursuing their Olympic careers, but it's not very much. <laughs> it's quite minimal. And because of that, um, I had to also rely on our athletics Canada funding. So it's like your sport federation funding as well to try to just like literally get by, <laughs> like not live extravagantly, but like literally try to like get meals. And um, when I got injured and I, my femur was <laughs> stress fractured and I still wanted to make this Olympic games. I had yet to make an Olympic games. The, you know, this is potentially rude and being mean to the Federation, but the sport Federation pulled my funding and they took it away. And so suddenly I had almost like no means. I couldn't work because I'm training full time. I'm also wrapping up my final year of university, juggling that at the same time. So I'm paying for school. I have no money to pay for sport and travel and all these different things. And I have no money to do so. And unfortunately this was during the 2008 kind of um, crisis where the whole U S bank crash. And so my parents actually um, both lost their jobs. And so I was in a super tight spot and I didn't know what to do. And I knew if I tried to get, you know, somewhat of a part-time job and get enough hours, I was now going to be sacrificing the hours I needed to be on the track or recovering or whatever. And my oldest sister, <laughs> very kindly, this is why it's one of the kindest thing ever signed off for a loan with like her as prime, um, whatever sign off person, um, for $25,000, I believe it was Amazing. nearly like 25 or $30,000 took out a loan for me to pursue my dream. And, you know, of course the plan was for me to pay her back, but she was on the hook for that. If, if it, I couldn't, or for whatever reason, she was on the hook for that. And without even a question, she was like, yeah, I'll do that. It's fine. And, um, really because of that, I was able to float through that rough patch and make it to the Olympic games. And then, you know, then find more corporate sponsors. And then because I had more corporate sponsors, I was able to pour her, pay her back. And then ultimately, um, kind of was able to continue my career, but had that moment have gone any differently, who knows? Like I might not have made the Olympics. And if I didn't make the Olympics, I might not have found out about believing in yourself. And I didn't find out about believing in yourself. I wouldn't have started this initiative. And if I didn't start this initiative, I don't know where I'd be right now. <laughs> and so, yeah, like my sister and, and all my siblings, like I'm sure everyone feels this way about their siblings, but I genuinely feel like I have the best siblings in the world. And my eldest sister, who's the one who signed off on that loan to make it possible, um, has really set the stage for the relationship I have with them. And it, it comes up time and time again, um, 
in who I am from my younger brother, who my other sister is from me and, and, and Athena, who is my oldest sister. It is thanks to her that I think I made it through that time and, and why I'm lucky to have the relationship I am, I have with my siblings. Thank you so much for sharing that, Sarah. Um, Sarah Wells, thank you so much for your time here today. Um, big supporter of your organization, fan of your athletics background, and want to leave with the message, uh, paraphrased, that the hard work isn't always going to lead you to success, but resiliency is going to give you an opportunity for another one. Uh, thank you for that and look forward to chatting with you soon. Thank you so much, Stu.